Jesus says in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, people often think of worship as being spiritual, but according to Jesus, it must also be based on truth. All right, I have been talking about it for a few weeks, but this is a, a there's a lot of new things this week uh, with this podcast. It's a new series. It's going to be called Doctrine for Doxology, and we will be here for a while. So more on that in a little bit. A new podcast name as well. And so uh, it used to be called Bear Christianity. You know, that that was originally from the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. That's one of the first uh, apologetics, Christian apologetics books I ever read. And uh, and so the when I started this podcast, it was mainly apologetics-based stuff. And then, uh, and then just over the last couple of years, it has shifted, and I'm teaching a class at my church now. And so instead of trying to study two separate things, uh, combining them is going to make things a lot better, I think, for me and also for the the people that I'm teaching at church and also the listener here, because I can devote all of my time to studying one subject for the week instead of trying to, to split that up. So I am extremely excited about this series. And uh, so it's a new series, uh, a new podcast name, but it is the same music. I <laughs> I really like this intro music. I do play guitar, and so I've had people ask me, is, the, is that you playing? Are you playing that intro? And it is not. I wish I was that good at guitar, but it is not me playing. But I like the intro music. So it's the same music. Of course, it's the same host. I'm, I'm still the, the one talking. Um, but most importantly, we're talking about the same Bible and the same God. He is the unchanging God. And so that's, um, so again, I'm very excited to get started. Now you can connect with me. Uh, this is a different email now. You can connect with me doctrine for doxology at gmail.com. Now that has the number four in there, doctrine number four doxology at gmail.com. If you send, if you email me at bear Christianity, I'm, it's going to forward to that one anyway. So I'll, I'll still get it if that's the email you have saved, but, um, but doctrine for doxology at gmail.com. You can email me any questions. And then I'm on Instagram at the real bear Martin. Now to, kind of get us going here, I want to read this, and it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, the immediate context of this verse in Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible, They've the Israelites have been in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about to enter the promised land, Moses is is about to die, and so he's instructing the people and encouraging them to keep the covenant that they made with God. Now, uh, he also briefly recounts what the Lord has done for them, and again, encourages them, be, be loyal to the Lord your God. Do not turn your hearts away from the Lord, okay? And so uh, the the Israelites here, they do not fully know all the things about God. They, they are just simply instructed on who God is, and they know that he has delivered them out of the, the land of Egypt. And so, and, and really, the majority of the people now are the descendants of those. So maybe maybe some of these were, were younger children when they came out of 
the land of Egypt, but they've, they've been told about how the Lord delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And so they, they're, they, they're instructed here, you don't know all the things about God. The, the secret things belong to the Lord. You don't know everything, but in what you do know, Moses is saying, obey the Lord, okay? Keep his commandments. Be obedient to God. So in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14, Moses tells the people, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. And so there, Moses is saying, don't get caught up with all the things you don't know. You need to focus on what has been revealed to you, okay? And obey that, obey the Lord. And this principle applies to us today. God has given us everything we need to live an obedient Christian life. And so back to this verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And so many times, Christians get caught up in speculation about the secret things instead of focusing on the things that have been revealed. So some of the as I'm thinking about this, what are some of the secret things that we get caught up in? Certainly the first thing that popped in my mind are the end times events, okay? So there is all there has been all kinds of speculation on what, you know, how the world will end. Is it going to be, you know, the next second? Is it going to be 20,000 years from now? There, there's, you know, all kinds of, of speculation. There was a book uh, written, I guess, just before 1988, and it was entitled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, okay? Um, so people for, for a while now have been fascinated with, you know, who's the Antichrist and all, you know, all the different things with the end times. The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? So instead of worrying about, you know, reading the newspaper and trying to, you know, decipher the code of the end times, uh, how about reading the Bible and learning more about the Lord and worshiping Him and trusting Him, even though you don't know um, everything that's going to happen? Now, I don't mean to say that we shouldn't study Revelation and the prophecies in Daniel and and Zechariah, and you know, we should study the Bible, but we should we should do our very best to stay within the confines of what God has revealed to us. When we start getting outside of that, that's when we go wacky, okay? Again, the, the Bible is not a secret code book for the end of the world. The Bible was written so that people can read it and, and understand God. God is revealing himself to us in his word. Uh, another thing that people get really caught up on, the, the secret things here, is how is, how is uh, predestination and, and God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, how do those blend together? Does the Bible tell us that Christians are chosen before the foundation of the world, written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Yes, it does. Does it also tell us to, to go, therefore, and, and disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Yes, so we go, we witness to others, we, uh, we strive for obedience, and, and so we, you know, there, there's, we don't get caught up in those things. We, we take what the Bible teaches and we hold them 
all everything as tight as possible, and we don't get caught up in the secret things. Another one is the origin of evil. How did you know? How did Satan get in the garden? The Bible doesn't tell us. It just doesn't. Uh, he's just there. God created everything good, and said it said he said it was very good after he creates man. And then the you know, the next thing we read is. Satan's in the garden deceiving. And so the the secret things belong to the Lord. We can speculate all we want, all we want about where evil came from, but we don't know uh, God doesn't reveal to us exactly um where you know how evil came to be. Another point I want to make is who do the secret things belong to? They belong to the Lord our God. They the secret things belong to somebody, not nothing or nobody. And that's very important. That that's that's comfort for the Christian that God is in control of the things that we can't know or understand. That that He is there. It's it's not an uh, an atheistic, you know, um, or or even a deist universe where um, you know God just created things and then you know, just wound up the clock and let it go and who knows what'll happen. No, God is sovereign. He is in control. The secret things, they belong to him. He has possession of them. And so that that's important. Our creator, our sovereign Lord is the secret things belong to him. And and it belongs to the Lord our God. That that hour there, that's personal. God is for us. He has He has revealed the things that He's revealed because He is our God. Okay, so that that's personal there. All right. Now, what does belong to us? It is the things that are revealed. We can't know anything apart from what God has revealed to us. And they, these things that are revealed are for us and for our children. So we are to teach them and pass them down to our children, just like the the Israelites there about to enter the promised land. They are supposed to teach their children the things that have been shown to them while they're in the wilderness, how God brought them out of the land of Egypt. As you read the Old Testament, centuries after God brought the people out of Egypt, that is still a reference that the prophets make constantly, and and David in the Psalms that they're always talking about how the I am the Lord who who brought you out of Egypt. As as God is speaking, He's reminding them of that. So these things that are revealed are for us and and our children, and the purpose of God revealing that is so that we may do all the words of the law. It is for our obedience. We are also to trust God. And it's that we may do all the words of the law. Every single word matters in the Bible. Every word is important. So the purpose for this series, for this podcast, we will be sticking to the Bible, what God has revealed, and, and discovering what the Bible teaches about God, man, sin, salvation, eternity, all of those things, but we will stay within the confines of the Bible. So let me give you an example. The existence of God, you know, proofs that God exists. In this podcast, we will not be going over the various arguments to try to prove the existence of God. It is it is fine to do that. I have podcast episodes previously on that very issue, so that there's no problem with that. That's just not the purpose of what we're focusing on in this series. So that that's that would be kind of a broader aspect of theology. But the reason we're not trying to 
give proofs that God exists is because the Bible doesn't give proofs and try to convince people that God exists. The Bible assumes that everyone knows God exists. It simply tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, you know, another example would be if we're teaching about sin, you know, where does evil come from? I've talked about that. The Bible doesn't tell us. Everything God created was very good, and then we read of the deceiver in the garden that's calling God a liar. And so we can speculate what we want, but the the secret things belong to God. So for the purpose of this podcast series, we'll be sticking to the Bible. What 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 truths are the Bible teaching? Now, a book that I will be heavily relying on week by week, and it also is going to help me organize my thoughts. Is it's called Great Doctrines of the Bible by Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. So this is a is a guidebook for me. It's not gonna. Be, it's not like I'm reading a chapter and then just giving you an outline of what. Lloyd Jones said. Now, a lot of material, and and he certainly helps me organize my thoughts. So, a lot of material will be coming from that book. So, certainly want to give credit where credit is due. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. He was born in 1899 and died in 1981. He's a Welsh Protestant minister. Um, most notably, he was the pastor at Westminster Chapel in London for almost 30 years. Now, before becoming a pastor, he was a brilliant doctor. He was considered one of the top medical doctors in England by by the age of 25, okay? And so you can see that when when you listen to his sermons or read his books, he's a very clear, rational thinker. And so the the doctors that worked with him praised him for his ability to diagnose complicated conditions because he could think through uh, logically all of the different symptoms, and and so he was brilliant in that regard. And then God has gifted him in that way, and he used that to clearly think about and and then teach others uh, about Scripture. So he was converted and called to preach, and he began preaching in 1927. Now, his preaching set him apart as being strongly biblical. So uh, I mean, just like today, there were plenty of churches that were doing all kinds of things away from the Bible to to try to attract people to the church. Uh, but Martin Lloyd Jones, he he had a very simple take on preaching, and that was he was going to preach God's word. And so, listen to this quote. This is from a book called "The Passionate Preaching." of Martin Lloyd-Jones by uh, Stephen Lawson. And so this is on page 11. This is when he first started preaching, okay? It says, Humanly speaking, this could not have been a worse time to come to South Wales. Unemployment, drunkenness, and illiteracy were rampant among the townspeople. The Great Depression would hit in 1929. The people were not well-educated. Only a small percentage of the local people attended the church, and the previous pastor had left quite discouraged. Nevertheless, Lloyd-Jones believed they needed to hear straightforward doctrinal preaching from the Scripture. Such preaching would later be called logic on fire. He based his pulpit ministry exclusively on the Bible. He never cracked jokes nor used any kind of anecdotes or personal stories. He was simply consumed with a zeal for the glory of God, and he sought to proclaim it from the Word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I am not reading that and saying that pastors can't crack jokes or, or use stories in their sermon. What I am saying, though, is that what people need, truly need, is the clear teaching of the Bible. And so God can, we, we think about, well, if we're, if we're going to reach people, we have to, you know, a pastor has to be very charismatic and, and things like that. People, people in, in his time, of course, there wasn't, you know, everybody didn't know it what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones looked like. He didn't have an Instagram account where people could just look at all the uh, all these videos of him. So word would spread about how great of a preacher he was and how powerful of a preacher he was. And, and so people started flocking to his church. And so people, when you read accounts of people who would visit his church, they would get, you know, they would get there and sit down and this small little man would start walking up the stairs when it was time for to preach and and people would say that they thought that maybe Martin Lloyd Jones wasn't there that day that that this was some fill in guy or something and this this little man would walk up there and begin to preach and then they knew that it was him in the in the way that he preached and so God used him in a very powerful way and and he simply trusted that preaching the truths of scripture was enough and so the, the the that's what the church needs, not attractions for the world, not entertainment. They need to preach the word, to minister the gospel. Now, eventually, Lloyd-Jones became the pastor of Westminster Chapel, which I mentioned earlier. And in 1952, he started a Friday night series. Now, imagine that today, a, a church saying, we're going to start having... Um, we're going to start having messages on Friday night. How how many people you think would be there? But roughly twelve hundred people would show up to hear Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones preach every Friday night. And the first thing he did in 1952, he started a series, and he it, it was called Great Doctrines of the Bible. And this is the material for the book that I'm walking through. And so it's these sermons that were later compiled into a book. And this series lasted for three years, so who who knows how long we'll we'll be here. Anyway, uh, so th- that's why I'm so excited about diving into this because it, it's a lot of uh, obviously it's many many topics that are so important. As we learn more about the doctrines of the Bible, we we better understand the Bible, and we we it this changes how we worship God. So why study doctrine? Uh, that's that's the question that I want to pose here and then give some examples. But a doctrine is a belief or a system of beliefs that are accepted as authoritative by some group or school, okay? And so the Bible demands that we believe certain truths, which would be doctrine. Here's a quote from Lloyd-Jones. The Bible is not merely a general history. It is a book which is concerned to bring certain particular truths clearly before us, and those truths are doctrines. So to read my Bible properly means that I must consider doctrine. The Bible wants me to grasp its doctrine. In other words, I may know my Bible very well, but unless I realize the importance of grasping its doctrines, my knowledge of the Bible may be quite useless to me. So, uh, an example here that the Bible is concerned with teaching doctrine. Let's just take Adam and Eve, for example, okay? So, th- so there's lots of different genres of literature in the Bible. There's historical narrative, poetry, 
Proverbs or, or wisdom literature, there's epistles or letters, and then there's like apocalyptic language. So for the purpose of Adam and Eve here, we have a story, okay? We have, it, it's found in Genesis 3, it's a story of Adam and Eve listening to a serpent instead of God. Now, a child could understand this. This is not like Aesop's fables. This is a this really happened, okay? So I'm I'm not saying that this is a made-up story to teach a lesson like a parable. Um I'm this is a real story, but it does teach a lesson and it's a simple story. But the doctrine behind that is the fall of man and we see this looked back on throughout scripture. And so as we as we continue to read the Bible, it is very clear that what we learn when Adam and Eve sin, we need to learn doctrine from that. In that, we learn about federal headship, that we all sinned in Adam. And then in Romans 5, Paul relates back to this and teaches this doctrine that, for as by the one man's disobedience, this is Romans 5.19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so that is, that's doctrine right there. We are sinners because of Adam's sin. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, man, you know, why am I, uh, why do I have a sin nature because Adam sinned? Well, the Bible tells us that Adam was our representative. And in the same way, just like one man's disobedience, one man's sin meant sin for everybody, so by one man's obedience, that would be Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through his acts, we are given his righteousness and his perfection. Okay? And so that's doctrine right there. And so the Bible is is always teaching us doctrine. Another example is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So this is the day of Jesus' resurrection, and two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about seven miles, and they're discussing all of the crazy, I mean, imagine living that week, right? And and being in Jerusalem and seeing all of this take place. Uh, they probably, you know, they most definitely saw Jesus ride into town on Palm Sunday being praised, the crowd shouting Hosanna. And then uh, less than a week later, he is crucified. And now the the some of the women at the tomb and and Peter they're saying that the tomb is empty and so this these men are walking back and they're discussing all of these things and Jesus walks up beside them and joins their conversation now Luke 24:16 says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him so this is the resurrected Jesus Christ walking and talking beside them and Jesus basically says what are you guys talking about and Cleopas, he answered, he, he's amazed. He says, are, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on? And so then Cleopas kind of summarizes the events. And Jesus responds here in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, have you ever thought of this? Why didn't Jesus, when as these as Cleopas is telling it and like summarizing all the events, why didn't Jesus say, guys, it's me, you know, and then they go, hooray, and they they rejoice, right? Why didn't Jesus do that? No. Instead, what did he do? 
beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's, this is talking about this is the whole Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He taught them the doctrines of, about the Messiah in the Old Testament. See, they knew, that that's the issue here, is they knew the Old Testament. They were familiar with all the stories and all the laws and all of that stuff, but Jesus brought out the truths from that that they had to hold on to. Jesus gave them the doctrine that the Old Testament was teaching. And, and think about this, Jesus was more concerned that they knew why he had to die then rejoicing with them that he was alive. See, he, he could have just said, I'm alive, guys, it's me. You know, can't you recognize me? And he, and he opens their eyes to see who he is, and they have that this awesome celebration there on the road to Emmaus. Note, what was more important is that Jesus was conveying who he was and why he had to die, and he taught them the truths of that in the Old Testament. And then when they do recognize him, Jesus vanishes. And so so that was what was most important to Jesus. And we see that this is what the apostles do after or starting at Pentecost. And so they begin teaching the Old Testament. Think about it. They did the New Testament was not written. They would write the New Testament, but they went out into all the world with the Old Testament showing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so they were giving the people doctrine. The apostles' preaching is doctrinal. They would they would tell the story. Um, they would they would quote from the Old Testament, and then they would give the explanation and and give the doctrine there. You can easily see this if you read the book of Acts. Um, you know, if you read Acts two and Peter's sermon at Pentecost, you can see this perfectly clear. So true preaching is doctrinal preaching. Um, here's another quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he's talking about, in the context here, he's talking about expository preaching, and he says this, "...to expound is not simply to give the correct grammatical sense of a verse or passage. It is rather to set out the principles or doctrines which the words are intended to convey." True expository preaching is therefore doctrinal preaching. It is preaching which addresses specific truths from God to man. The expository preacher is not the one who shares his studies with others. He is an ambassador and a messenger, authoritatively delivering the Word of God to men. Such preaching presents a text, then, with that text in sight throughout, there is deduction, argument, and appeal, the whole making up a message which bears the authority of Scripture itself. So that that quote there, he, that last part, it, the whole message here is it bears the authority of Scripture itself. Why? Not because the the pastor is some new prophet from God and everything they say is is to be taken as Scripture. No, he's saying the expository preacher, his, the message is so um, bound up in what Scripture is truly teaching, that's why it's authoritative, because the pastor's, the expository preacher's authority is based on the Bible. Okay, and so um, so true preaching, starting in the book of Acts, when when the apostles start sharing the message of Christianity, it is doctrinal preaching that they are concerned with. In Ephesians four, Paul tells us that God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And then a few verses down, verses fourteen and fifteen, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the, doc, the, the Greek word there for doctrine is didaskalia, didaskalia. And so that sometimes that is translated teaching. So listen to this verse, 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul is, is telling Timothy, this, this young pastor, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, or didaskalia, the doctrine. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the doctrine. Persist in this, for, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So the, the teaching or the doctrine, again, same Greek word, didaskalia, that is what's so vital for, um, for, Paul, for Paul as he's encouraging Timothy. So doctrine is important because the Bible uh, emphasizes doctrine, and then throughout church history, it has been emphasized, you know, starting with the apostles. The early Christian proclamation which united all believers was the phrase, Jesus Kurias, and that is, Jesus is Lord. All right, in the first century, emperors demanded worship from the people, and so Christians were, were killed for refusing to say, Kaiser Kurias, which is, Caesar is Lord. Christians would refuse that. They would refuse to say that, and they would say, Jesus Kurios, Jesus is Lord. And many of them were slaughtered in the arena, the Colosseum, for refusing to acknowledge that Caesar is Lord. They would say, Jesus is Lord. This is a doctrinal statement. When you say Jesus is Lord, there is a lot bound up in that. That is doctrinal. Now, from that, in, in early Christianity, they, they developed what's called the baptismal formula. So if a new believer was going to be baptized, they were catechized. Uh, catechisms are, are question and answers that basically are doctrine. It's just a, a way of memorizing the doctrines of Christianity. So before someone was baptized into Christianity, they had to know the, the doctrines of Christianity. A little bit later in church history, as Christianity spread, you started to get heretical teachings. And so you would have these church councils that would, would convene and deal with um, these, these different teachings, and, and they would look back and see what the Bible taught and make a ruling on that. Now, there are uh, church councils, as, as time went on, there are certainly church councils that, like the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, considers authoritative, and I would say are, they're unbiblical. Um, but early on, these, these church councils, they would meet and look at what the Bible taught. So you have the Apostles' Creed, you have the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. There, there's all these creeds that were developed to... Uh, for, for Christians to basically memorize, and that clarifies what the Bible teaches. Later on in history, we have the Protestant Reformation, and out of the Protestant Reformation, we have these confessions. Confessions simply list the biblical doctrines and give the scriptural support for them. So you've heard of these, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Heidelberg Confession of Faith, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. So all of these are fantastic to read, and as you're reading them, you will notice it's, it's just the doctrines that are taught in Scripture, those truths in Scripture, um, and again, they're defended scripturally. So the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, for instance, that is not Bible. I, I'm not going to quote that as, as if it's a Bible verse. 
But the reason that a lot of people refer to it is because it is it is scriptural. They they are they are making their arguments based on scripture. Now, so doctrine was important for the apostles. It was important in the early church. It was important during the Protestant Reformation. Is doctrine important for us today? You know, you, you may hear some people say, well, I don't need all that doctrine stuff. That's for theologians and, and people that are going to seminary and stuff. I, I, don't, I don't care to get into all those details. Just give me Jesus, right? You, you may hear something like that. And on the surface, if you're not thinking about it, and clearly they aren't thinking about it, it, it may sound um, good in a way, I guess. But, um, but they... they it's a terrible statement because you don't know Jesus without knowing biblical doctrine. That's because doctrine is based on biblical doctrine is based on the truth of scripture. Biblical doctrines are the organization of the truths taught in scripture. I'm going to read several verses here and just think about this word truth, okay, and, and the Christian life and and how important it is that we know the truth about God. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he's talking to his disciples before he's going to be betrayed and and crucified. Jesus says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The next chapter, John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to God the Father, and he says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Now, Ephesians 1, 13, Paul writes, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians four fifteen. Paul again writes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So the Christian life is about knowing truth. Christians are they the Christians love the truth about God and Christians have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth working in their hearts, cultivating a desire for the truth and showing them truth and convicting them when they stray away from truth. So Christians proclaim the truth of the gospel. That's why we are studying the, the great doctrines of the Bible, so that we may better know the truth about God. In John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And and this so this leads us from doctrines and the truths taught in scripture into this idea of doxology or worship. So a doxology is a short phrase expressing praise to God. And the the most uh, popular one, probably, when I say the word doxology, uh, some of you will, will think of, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay? So that is the... Many of you probably sing that at church every Sunday. Now, the, the word doxology is the Greek word doxologia, 
okay? I hope Hopefully I pronounced that right. And it is two words, okay? It's doxa, which is the word for glory or honor, and lagia, which is the, the root of that, it would be lagos. And so lagos is a word or saying. So when we put those together, doxa being glory and lagos being word or saying, we get a glory saying, okay? So that's why a doxology is a typically a short phrase expressing praise to God. There are many doxologies in the Bible. Here are just a few. Psalm 41, 13, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Psalm 68, 19, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation, selah. 1 Chronicles 16.28, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So when we think about the this series here, Doctrine for Doxology, yes, doxology is a short phrase of, of praise to God, but in a broader sense, our doxology is our worship okay, and, and, and our glory of God. So as we go through this, I want the doctrines that, that we're learning to affect worship, our praise of God. So our doxology is living according to the truths that we believe about God. See, our, our true worship has to start with doctrine. Here's a, one last quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, "'The doctrines of the Bible are not a subject to be studied. Rather, we should desire to know them in order that, having known them, we may not be puffed up with knowledge and excited about our information, but may draw nearer to God in worship, praise, and adoration because we have seen in a fuller way than we have ever seen before the glory of the wondrous God.'" So that, that's our, our purpose there, doctrine for doxology. And so, again, really excited about this series. Next week, we will be talking about Revelation. Now, that is not the book of Revelation. <laughs> We're not going to jump straight to the book of Revelation, but this is the, the general word for Revelation. How do we know things about God. It is through God's revelation to us. So that's next week. In a closing verse, this is Charles Spurgeon's favorite doxology from Scripture. It's found at the end of Jude. So it's Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.